This afternoon, we'll be looking at the Lord's Supper as it's described in the Heidelberg Catechism. And in connection with that, we'll be looking at two passages from Scripture. The first one being John chapter 1, the verses 1 to 18. And then the second one, John 3, verse 16. Looking at our Savior who came into this world. Fix your eyes on your Savior in these words of John, loved ones. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of flesh, Not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness, we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now we'll move to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Keeping that in mind, we now come to the Heidelberg Catechism's reflection on the Lord's Supper. As we find it in Lord's Day 28, and the Lord's Supper as well turns our eyes to Christ, we read here, How does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup in remembrance of him. And with this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, 
As surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his shed blood? First, to accept with a believing heart all the suffering and death of Christ and so receive forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Second, to be united more and more to his sacred body through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us. Therefore, although Christ is in heaven and we are on earth, yet we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live and are governed by one spirit, as the members of our body are by one soul. Where has Christ promised that he will nourish and refresh believers with his body and blood as surely as they eat of this broken bread and drink of this cup? In the institution of the Lord's Supper, The Lord Jesus, when he was betrayed, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This promise is repeated by Paul where he says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation of the blood of Christ? The bread of which we break, is it not not a participation of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Today being a day in which we would have celebrated the Lord's Supper makes it weigh on our minds a lot more heavily. Many of you are probably feeling the fact that we can't get together most strongly on a day like today. And that's understandable because what more beautiful picture of the gospel could we get than this? The picture which God himself gave us. There is something about the Lord's Supper that moves your spirit in an especially deep and profound way and brings the promises of God to life in an incredibly personal way. Our Lord's Day today described this with especially beautiful language. As surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. When we see these things, and as we see these things happening before our eyes, we are reminded again of the sacrifice and the redemption of our Lord. But it doesn't just stop there with the reminder. Our Lord's Day went on saying, secondly, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister and taste with my mouth that bread and cup of the Lord as sure signs of Christ's body and blood. So surely 
Does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood? With that nourishing and refreshing, our catechism went on to point to the various passages described in question and answer 77. And it highlights that as we feel the texture of bread on our tongues and we, and we taste that wine on our lips, that it, it's brought home to us in an incredibly personal way. This sacrifice, this sacrifice was not just for others. The Lord's Supper reminds us again as we take it in, into our bodies, that it is also taken in to our souls, that this sacrifice is also for me. There is something about it that breaks the barrier between the head and our hearts in a unique way. It's not just a fact that we have in our minds, but just as certainly as we taste this bread and wine. Everyone who takes part of this in faith can say this isn't just a fact to know. This is for me. I stand forgiven. And this is why we feel it so strongly when we are absent from being able to celebrate the sacraments together for such an extended period of time. But even when we can't take part in the Lord's Supper together, the truth at the heart of it remains the same. That gospel truth, the gospel truth that is applied to us and to our lives, to all of us who believe as children of God. The gospel message that's so perfectly summed up in the text that we read today, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God, the one who is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who, as our Belgic confession describes it, is eternal, incomprehensible, invisible, immutable, infinite, almighty, perfectly wise, just, good, and the overflowing fountain of all good. He is, as Scripture describes him in 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and following, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Compare that to who we are. Is God dwelling in heaven above, to who we are, as the prophet Isaiah described in Isaiah 40, verses 6 and following, when a voice said, cry out, and Isaiah said, what shall I cry? And the voice says, all flesh is like grass, and its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely that people are grass. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. God, immovable, unchangeable, powerful, 
beyond what we can imagine, all-powerful, holding all things in his hand for God. And yet God loved. This God, whom we describe, whom we stand in awe of in his majesty, God loved, he cherished, he had deep affection for loving with an abiding love, an eternal love, a love that is deeper than an ocean. As the heavens are high above us, so high is the Lord's love for us. 1 John 4, verse 16, and so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever loves lives in God and God in them. 1 John 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. God loved. God loved the world. After the fall into sin, all of nature suffered the effects. Even to this present day, all of creation is groaning. As we read in Romans 8, it's groaning in bondage to decay. God hates sin for what it does to his creation and what it does to his people whom he loves. And that's why as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's always a very serious warning against sin in our form for the Lord's Supper. Every time that we take part, we're called to examine ourselves, really examine ourselves once again and to take ownership of it, to take responsibility for it without excuses and to recognize and to accept what it deserves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, we read, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins to abstain from the table of the Lord and declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone or who serve him in their own manner, all who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way, all who do not diligently attend the worship services and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments, all who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them, all who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor or refuse to be reconciled to him, all who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure. All who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life. All liars, backbiters, and slanderers. Briefly, all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not take of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. This isn't an arbitrary list of things for us to examine ourselves on. This is the Ten Commandments, put into slightly different words, yes, but the basics of what God has laid down for his people. And as we examine ourselves in light of this, again, we are to take ownership of it, responsibility for it without excuses, and recognize what it deserves and accepts what it deserves as we come to the table of the Lord. And yet, 
We are called here to remember in John 3, verse 16, that God loved the world. Knowing who we are. Knowing what we've done. And that he has done something beautiful. This is where the word so comes in. It doesn't express he loved the world this much, but it says God so loved the world, saying thus he loved the world. In this way he loved the world. And then it introduces us to the degree to what he did. He's done something beautiful. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Now notice the word gave there. There is something that we do need to address here. There are some who look at Jesus and describe what happened on the cross as God needing someone to beat up and taking out his anger on his son. There are three things that we should consider with that. In the first place, it denies the Trinity. God is one in being, even though he is three in persons. There is no divided will. What the Father chose, the Son chose. John 1, we read how he came into this world. The light came into the darkness. There was no compulsion. There was no forcing. He chose this. From eternity, the light of the world chose to shine in the darkness. In the second place, to approach it with that mindset is that it lays the problem of sin at the wrong being. Man was the one who brought this horridness, this this corruption and brokenness into the world. God's world was beautiful, perfect, a just, a righteous, and a joyful place. No sin. When you consider, for example, Just recently, what has come to the foreground, racism, hatred, anger, mankind has brought all of that into the world. When man brought sin into the world, he is the one who carried death into the world with it. God had created it this way, that where man, where sin goes, death follows. But he did this because where people deliberately sin, there's always pain and death that follows. There's always the death of trust, the death of relationships, the death of so much more. And physical death is both a picture of all of these things as well as a natural result that God has put in place. A natural outworking of all of the other death that happens. But he had warned man, and man did it anyways. Just as with all of the sins that we confess, when we go back again to the Ten Commandments and we look at our lives through the lens of God's scriptures, here too, we don't lay the problem of sin at the foot of the wrong being, but mankind, humanity, each of us is called to look at it, to take ownership of it, responsibility for what we have done But the third thing to notice is that despite the fact that it was man's fault, God stands there with a sacrifice. He gave his son. He freely gave 
the sacrifice. God always provides the sacrifice. God always provides the way out. He didn't need to, and yet he did so because he loved. God gave his son. God gave his only son. He sacrificed to this degree that he gave his one and only son. The Greek word here is monogenes, which is to say unique. We are all sons and daughters of God by adoption, and we confess that in our Heidelberg Catechism as well, recognizing that, and that's found on the pages of Scripture over and over again. But that didn't happen until God sent the one and only, his unique, his most precious, his most prized, his beloved son. If there was any other way, this would not have happened. The father would not have needed to give up what was most dear to him. He can hear Jesus in the garden. If there is any way, take this cup from me. And yet he goes forward knowing that there is no other way. We see his humanity on display there. And he chooses freely to go on. But the wages of sin is death. And the only one who could bear that on behalf of us was his one and only son. And so God gave what was most precious to him for you. For you who believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. This is all that God calls mankind to. This is all that God requires for man to put his faith in his son. And where mankind fails with even that, even that God himself supplies. Ephesians 2. This not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. This faith. Anyone who believes It's a free gift, a gift of mercy. And for anyone who believes, whoever, it doesn't matter your race or your gender, it doesn't matter if you're tall or short, it doesn't matter if you feel ugly or if you feel like you don't measure up or that you're not worthy or that you have been broken and nobody would want a fixer-upper like you. If you are struggling emotionally, physically, Mentally, God shows his love. A love willing to sacrifice what is most precious to it in the whole universe for your sake. Anyone who believes. And so that's exactly what the next part of what we so often read in our Lord's Supper celebration reminds us of. And that, yes, those who live unrepentantly will face judgment. But God loves. When we look at the first ten commandments and that period of reflection and self-examination, that, yes, this is worthy of judgment. But God loves. 
And he has given a way out. He has given his son a way out for whoever believes. Whoever believes, and that's this next section of the form. But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts. As if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we're righteous and perfect in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our lives outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We are also aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith. And we do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily, we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh. Yet, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to the commandments of God. There you see faith in action worked in us by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Despite all of that, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings and desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. And then we find after that a response to this final truth that whoever believes will not perish. Though God had decreed in Romans that the wages of sin is death, he also said the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what we read time and time again there gives us such comfort. Whoever believes will not perish. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness that still remains in us against our will can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made, not being, but being made, worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Whoever believes will not perish, but will have eternal life. And this is the final hope we can look forward to. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, and there shall be no more pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He makes me new. 
Whoever believes in him, he makes you new. And he prepares you for a place in which he will make all things new. Loved ones, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. Amen.